moment. I hope this morning that I can just, what my goal is and my, my heart's desire is that somehow, through the preaching of the word, that I can lift up, that I can encourage your heart in the Lord and maybe give you a renewed lease on life, a renewed outlook, realize that God is still on the throne and there just ain't nothing too hard for him to do. Nothing too hard for him to do. And whatever you're facing here today, I know a problem solver. Yep. I think one of the greatest needs of the church at large today is if we could somehow get what we have up here in our head to drop about 12, 15, 18 inches to here and get in our heart. I think we got about all we need up here. I mean, we have been to church for years and years and years. We've heard sermon after sermon. We've been to Bible study after Bible study. And sometimes it's just so easy just to keep that up. I have a lot of minister friends that it seems as though the only thing they are doing is running to conference after conference after conference after conference. And it seems as though sometimes we're just kind of singing to the choir, you know. We just get together and, and huddle. Um, a football team, they have their huddle, but, but then you've got to get up to the line. And you've got to move the ball. Yeah. And that's what I wish that the church could do. And what it really amounts to is passion. Passion for the things of God. For the work of the Lord. And there is no greater enterprise in all of the world that any of us could be involved in than the mission and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. I'm going to just read, I think, three, three scriptures uh, today. And I'm going to read them very quickly here in just a minute. Uh, for the sake of time, and of course there is no outline today. We used to sing a song that said, Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I am trusted in his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. There are many promises in the Bible that we, we cling to. We hang on to them in times of trouble. Promises like, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Promises like any weapon that is formed against us shall not prosper. Another promise, and I'm glad for this one, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. However, there are some promises in the good book that we would probably rather were not there. Or we could easily overlook or discount them, and that would be to our own detriment to do so. The scriptures I want to read this morning, the first one is in Job 14, 1 and 2. This is a promise. This is a statement of fact. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and withers. He flees also like a shadow and continues not. Ecclesiastes 2, 22, 23, For what? 
has a man left of all of his labor and of the striving and vexation of his heart which he has toiled under the sun. For all his days are but pain and sorrows, and his work is a vexation and grief. His mind takes no rest at night. This is also vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility, says the Amplified Bible. John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. Here's the promise. In the world, you, not might have, could have, you shall have. You will have tribulation and distress and frustration. Then one more, First Peter 4 says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery dart, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. That's easy for us to do. Lord, why is this? This should not be. I'm a good guy. You know I'm a good guy. I don't deserve this. Why, why do I have this fiery dart that is out to do me harm? I think we all need to realize this morning that there is a devil that is to out to destroy everything that is good. He wants to destroy each and every one of us in here today. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy the church of the living God, which he will never do because Jesus said that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he's out to do a bunch of havoc. And he, there's none of us that are immune from that. I have realized this all of my life. That one can be in a wonderful service. As we've all been in many throughout our lifetime. We've been blessed. We've been uplifted. We have been encouraged and renewed. Then as soon as you hit the church doors to leave. You realize there's a real world out here still. My subject today is a real world, a real Jesus. A real world, a real Jesus. And that world, as many of you know, is not always nice. It can be tough. The problems that you were kind of able to escape for an hour, hour and a half, two hours... In the presence of the Lord, when you go back out into that beautiful fall, autumn day, those problems have not evaporated at all. They are still there. Your bank account has not been enlarged. Your marital problems have not dissipated. Your wayward kids are still wayward. The hostile work environment awaits you still early Monday morning. Why is this? Why does God allow it? It seems sometimes to be so difficult to get the abundant life that everybody tells us that is available through the Lord. Everybody on Facebook seems to have it all together. Everybody's got a beautiful, oh, what a beautiful, beautiful life. Everybody on Facebook has, and here I am, I am suffering. 
Why can't I be happy like them? Why can't I do all, all of this stuff? Why can't I have what they have? Well, lots of times, believe it or not, it's simply because they're putting on a facade and trying to make you think that they have it all together when in actuality they're just as miserable as you are. <laughs> trying to impress everybody and if you could peel back the layers of their life like an onion, you would find that they too have struggles and disappointments. Hey folks, we get pretty good at putting on a front, don't we? And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's better than going around whining all the time. Nobody wants that, you know, just suck it up and go on. So that, to a point that that might be a good thing. But why does it have to be this way? Why does there have to be the struggle? Why does there have to be the, the conflict in the, in the life of a Christian? I mean, after all, we've given our hearts to the Lord. Why can't, why can't he just erase all of this mess and all of this junk from our life and just, just do nothing but just pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing to us? I'll tell you why. Is because our ancestors, Adam and Eve, blew it. They lived in paradise and they spoiled it all, not only for them, but for everyone who would live after them. I've been pulling a lot of weeds at my house. I hate that job. Adam and Eve. I've noticed something about weeds, and, and there's a spiritual application here. You, you can take a weed, and you can take it and pull it off and do all of that, and you think you got it cleaned up, and boom, it's right back again. You know why? Because the root is still there. And before long, it pops back up. To get rid of that thing, you have to kill it at the root. You have to either dig that thing out or you've got to put something on it that is going to kill that root. Go ahead and preach it to yourself for a minute here now. I think you got it, don't you? If there's something in your life that is a problem, something that's ugly, something that should not be in the life of a Christian, you cannot just, just make a a play at getting rid of it. You've got to kill that thing or it will kill you ultimately. It will. So I'm out there digging weeds out. I got this trowel in my hand. I'm <clears throat> Adam, Adam, Adam. <laughs> Take that. that th that's for you. Ladies, every labor pain that you ever had in childbirth. Eve, Eve. Adam and Eve, don't holler at your husband, holler at Eve. <laughs> when our boys were born, back in those days, the husbands were in the labor room, and that was as far as you went. That did not make me mad at all. <laughs> that did not upset me. When it came time for the birth, Mr. Bird, you stay right here. You got in the waiting room. We'll let you know when your baby comes. We didn't know what it was going to be, boy or girl. We didn't, we didn't 
have a party and hit things that turned out pink or blue. We didn't know. <laughs> you know, we just we, we just had had babies and we we waited and and then we found oh it's a boy, oh it's a girl, whatever you know. But when it came time for the actual birth to take place, they they wheeled the mother out of the labor room and into I guess an operating room or something. But but the man could go. No, no further. But I'll tell you what, I had had all that I wanted just being in the labor room. <laughs> it was hard on me, I'm telling you. It was hard on me. <laughs> it certainly was. All of that, Adam and Eve. So, because of the fall, life is tough. One pastor said it this way, life is a battle with a short stick. We have to earn our living now by the sweat of our brow, and ultimately, we all shall return to the dust of the ground. I suppose you could say, but Dana, you're being quite pessimistic today. No, not really. Let me tell you what I am. I am a realistic optimist. I think we all have to accept life for being what it is and remain optimistic and confident in the sight of it all that we have a God who is greater than all of our problems. And you know, you go through, you live long enough and you go through this and you go through that and you may come home and say, guess what happened today? Or so-and-so called, guess what? And before you might have just got rattled, but you know what? You've just lived long enough. You say, well, what's happened? And you're, you're just, you just, you just kind of take it. You just kind of go with the flow. Why? Because you know God's still on the throne. He's still got the world in the palm of his hand. And he's brought you through this, and he's brought you through that, and he saw you through this problem and that problem. And it doesn't matter what you face. He's going to take care of that too. That's how our faith increases. So refusing to acknowledge reality does not make it go away. I've told the story a lot about a good number of years ago when the word of faith movement became quite prominent. And that movement was the deal of just name it and claim it. You don't have to accept this. You don't have to accept that. Just just whatever, you know, bless God, you got the victory. The devil's under your heel and on and on and on. And there was a horrible automobile accident. And this young man survived and a lot of his family members were killed. And he was a part of a church that, that um, preached that. And so there it was at the side of the road and terrible carnage everywhere. And he was walking around saying, no, this is not happening. I do not accept this. This is not real. I do not accept it. The reality was his family members were dead. Were dead. And so it didn't matter what all he said. It didn't matter what all he confessed. It didn't matter what, what he might have thought about it or what he might have said. That was reality for him at that point in life. Let me ask you today, and I, I know the answer to this question. 
Do you have any problems in your life today? Is there anything that just kind of gnaws at you that you wish that somehow you could just rip it out of your life and be done with it? It frustrates you. It aggravates you. It worries you. What I want you to know today, that there is a God who is greater than all of your problems. There is nothing that you are facing in your life that has him stumped. Nothing that has him stumped. Is there anything too hard for him? No. And believe me, folks, I have seen the Lord work things out that seem to be impossible. That seem to be no way. I like the old, old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Are you ha happy for that today? What a friend we have in Jesus. He's not a friend that's here today and gone tomorrow. He's not a friend that might be your friend as long as you have something you can do for him and then he, he drops you if you don't have anything. He's not a friend that's going to turn on you. He's a friend that will stick closer than a brother. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. But then it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Jesus, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. I think sometimes we think that eventually we will get to a place in life where this real world and its problems will be gone and it will no longer affect us or drag us down. After all, we've tried to do what's right, so certainly we should be entitled to a stress-free life. Don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but it doesn't always work that way, folks. It just doesn't always work that way. There seems to be one particular time in life that, that is a problem. That's the time between the cradle and the grave. <laughs> that whole span. That dash between the year we were born and the year we died. That dash represents an awful lot of stuff. An awful lot of stuff. You see, even that baby, he has needs. He wants milk, and he'll let you know that he wants to be fed. And if he doesn't want milk, sometimes he wants his binky, and he'll let you know that too. Toddlers, they have a problem making sure everything is mine, 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 mine. Teenage years, their situation. <laughs> yeah, oh boy, oh boy. They got to have the right tennis shoes, the right clothes. 
They've got to be accepted by their friends. Then you think, oh, when I get married, bliss, holy matrimony, that's going to be bliss, nothing but bliss. (laughs) But then job stress, mortgage. Where is that binky? Where is that thing? (laughs) Middle age hits. Wrinkles start to show up. A spare tire begins to form around your midsection. Midlife crises set in. College funding and tuition. All of that. Old age hits. And it's not looking too good to me, folks. Old age. Arthritis, aches and pains. Not that I have any of that, but probably head, you know. Fixed income, hearing aids. You think you've got, got your kids raised and they're good kids and they're doing well. And then lo and behold, here comes another posse of them that you've got to be concerned about and pray for and worry about. So it just, it just never gets to the point that you're, that you're free of it. One, well, I'll tell you his name. I, I listen now and then to Chuck Swindoll on the radio. And I enjoy his, his ministry. Chuck is, I believe, 85 years old. And I heard him say recently, this past year has been the most difficult of my entire ministry. Now, can you believe that? Here's a man whose voice is heard around the world, who pastors a large church in Texas, who is on the radio every day, who is the chancellor of Dallas Theological Seminary, he has seen it all. He has been through it all. If anybody would deserve a little respite before going to the next place, surely it would be he. But he said, this past year has been the most difficult of my entire life. You see, the devil never quits. He never cries uncle. He never gives up. So rest assured, folks, that everyone has issues with which to contend. It's been said that everyone is either in a problem, getting out of a problem, or getting ready to enter a problem. Because that's the way life is, and that's the way that it comes. It's easy to look at celebrities and famous people and wish that you had all that they have, how easy life would then be, but not necessarily so. Many of those people are extremely miserable, extremely miserable. I have a little deal here that's entitled Food for Thought, and this is what it says. In 1923... A very important meeting was held at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Attending this meeting were nine of the world's most successful financiers. Those president were the president of the largest independent steel company, the president of the largest utility company, the president of the largest gas company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, 
the greatest executive on Wall Street, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, and the president of the Bank of International Settlements. Certainly, we must admit, here we're gathered a group of the world's most successful men. At least men who had found the secret of making money. 25 years later, let's see where these men were. 25 years later. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, died a bankrupt and lived on borrowed money for five years before his death. The greatest, or the president of the greatest utility company, Samuel Insull, died a fugitive from justice and penniless in a foreign land. The president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, became insane. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad, insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, went to Sing Sing Penitentiary. A member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest executive in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, died a suicide. The head of the greatest monopoly, Ivor Kruger, died a suicide. And the president of the Bank of International Settlement, Leon Fraser, died a suicide. Isn't that a, side, a sad commentary on what this world has to offer? Isn't that kind of an enlightening bit of information how the things of this world don't really satisfy? That only Jesus can satisfy? That there's a, there's a place in every human heart that will never be full, that will never be complete, that will never bring you satisfaction until he comes in and lives and dwells within the heart of the human soul. You know that suicide has become a national scourge. Terrible, terrible. Just this week, a staff pastor at a mega church in California who was over mental health and helped people that was having problems took his own life. It's becoming a terrible, terrible thing. The church that Don and I are well familiar with, I heard a pastor preach there recently who had told about all that his family had been through and he had been through horrible physical situations and he felt the Lord had healed him and he told about all of the hardships that they had. He was married to a wonderful, wonderful girl, wonderful lady, well-respected within her group around the nation. One day she gets in her car, takes her little six-year-old boy, drives to the Nova Bridge and said, Honey, you, you wait right here in the car. She goes out and jumps off the bridge and kills herself. It's terrible what the devil can do when he gets in and people feel absolutely hopeless. Hopeless. 
absolutely hopeless. Far be it from me at all to make any judgment as far as eternity on any of those folks. But I'll tell you a danger that I do see, and that is I have heard it even in church circles that it's almost, well, isn't it? Oh, they're, they're free, now. they're home now. Oh, friend, th th that hopelessness is what destroyed them. Lack of faith in the living God. And so we know that there's a just and there's a merciful God. And we leave those folks in his hands and in his care, knowing that he is the righteous judge and everything that he does is right. And that is not for me, nor is it for any of us to make judgments concerning that matter. But it is a tragedy, a tragedy what is happening. When Nathan was 10 years old, he lost one of his best friends in his, in his grade school class, a little 10-year-old boy, a son of a doctor, committed suicide. And I could tell you story after story after story. I know of a pastor whose daughter was a school teacher, had her own family, took her own life. It is just prevalent. It, it is everywhere. And if there's anybody here today that those thoughts have been in your heart, I rebuke that spirit today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Calvary over your heart and over your soul and over your mind. I want you to know that there is hope. You do not have to be hopeless. There is, there is a bomb in Gilead. There is a Savior who loves you. There is one that you can cast all of your care upon him. Because he cares for you. Oh, if I could just win the lottery, how nice that would be. Do you know the problems that lottery winners have had? It is unbelievable. They win multiplied millions and millions of dollars. And several of them have said, I wish I would never have seen the money. I wish I would never have won. So here we are. We didn't ask to be born. We've all probably asked the question at one time or another, why were we born? It's not because God wants us to wanted to put us here and make us miserable. That's not it. But it's because he has a plan and he has a purpose for each and every life, including you. I would ask you today, are you fulfilling that purpose? Or are you squandering your life? He wants to show forth his glory through you. If you'd never had a test, you'd never have a testimony. As the wise sage Dolly Parton once said, if you want a rainbow, you have to put up with the rain. There's a point to that. We used to sing a song that said, wasted years, wasted years. Oh, how foolish as we walk on in darkness and sin. Turn around, turn around. God is calling He's calling you from a life of wasted years. I can preach what I'm preaching today with confidence because it is not just a situation that's prevalent in 2019. You can take this 
Bible, this holy book, from cover to cover, and you can see where people who walked with the Lord were not free from trouble. I don't have time to go into illustration after illustration. Old Testament, New Testament, you look at it wherever you want to look, and God's people have always faced a myriad of problems, it seems like. No, Christians are not immune from the difficulties of life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes little babies do die to people who love the Lord. I know of a couple that after a church service one, one night, their little three-year-old baby got, got loose and took off. And Back in the day, they used to have baptismal tanks up here. Many, many churches yet today have baptismal tanks right here. And that little baby somehow got loose and got into that, fell in that baptismal tank and drowned. Now, how would you feel if you were a parent and you were at church and you were serving God and you were worshiping the Lord and your little three-year-old darling baby drowns in a baptismal tank? Would you just feel like, oh, God, what in the world? No, the next Sunday morning, they were standing there in that choir loft. Their place in the choir, after they had buried their little baby that week, they were in their place in the choir, voices lifted, hand raised, praising the name of the Lord. I know of a lady who lost all of her family in a fire, a house fire. And time after time, I would see her come into church alone, no family, year after year, and sit there and worship the Lord. I'll never forget years ago, a revival that we were preaching in Terre Haute, Indiana. There was a couple there that had all kinds of physical problems. And I would see him, he, he, could heart, he was almost blind. And he would take his Bible, and he would do this. He would put it right up just a couple inches from his face to read the Word. And I couldn't think, oh, how many of us have good eyesight, and yet we hardly pick up the Word. And here's this man that he struggles to see, and yet he was reading it. His wife was crippled in her hand, and I'd see her praise the Lord, and she would clap her hands like this. I thought, how many of us have good hands that work, that we can clap, that we could raise, and sometimes we do none, none of that. Sometimes one does lose his job. Sometimes a tornado levels a home. Car blows up. Marries disintegrates. Cancer strikes. But I've got good news for you today. And that is this, that 2,000 years ago into this world walked a Savior. He was born a virgin because he was and he is the Son of God. He's all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for him to do. And he stands here today, open arms, ready to help you, ready to embrace you, wanting to lift your load.
He loves you. Can you believe that? In spite of our shortcomings, in spite of all the things that we have done that we should not do, he, he still loves us. And he stands ready with outstretched arms to help us. He wants the best for us. He wants to take our ashes and give us beauty in return. He just wants us to turn our life over to him. And he will fix it for us. You know, if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. When I was a young man, the words of the song got embedded into my heart. I attended a camp meeting one week, and a great man was preaching. And every night at the close of that camp meeting, he would sing this song. And it did something to me that I've never forgotten. The words of this song go like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. Yes, I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, than anything this world affords today. That got so into my spirit. It was that year that I totally surrendered my life to the Lord. It wasn't long after that that I decided to follow after him, pursue his will in my heart and in my life. And I'll tell you, folks, I've lived a long time, and I still feel that today. Take it all, take it all. What this world can offer me, take it all. A thousand years from now, it won't matter anyhow. What the world can offer me, take it all. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? And what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I like what the psalmist said. He said, in my distress. Anybody ever been there? In my distress. What did he do? He didn't head for the pillbox. He didn't head for the shrink. And if you need, need some of that, that, that's all right with me. But I like what the psalmist said. In my distress, I called unto the Lord. And then what happened? He heard me. He heard. Oh, hallelujah. He heard me. We need to start calling upon the Lord. Are you willing just to turn your life over to him today? Abby, I want you to come and just start playing something. 
but we're going to do a little differently here today. This is what I feel to do to close out the service. I want us just to turn our problems over to the Lord. We're not going to have a prayer line here today and, and pray over those problems because I want us to release them. I want us to quit carrying them around. I want us just to let go of them today. Condoleezza Rice tells the story that every day as that little girl would leave for school, her mother would pray with her and say, take the name of Jesus with you. Do you do that to your children? We used to pray for our boys when they went to school. No, we didn't necessarily get down and on our knees and pray, but we'd go to the door and put our arms around them. Lord, protect Brian today. Be with Nathan. Let your arm of protection build a shield around them. Help them to love you. Help them to please you. We did that many, many days as our boys would go off to school. Take the name of Jesus with you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I told you earlier that we've all been in services that we've felt the presence of the Lord and then we leave and boom, there's that old world again. But I want to leave you with this thought, and that is this. That when we walk out of these doors in a few minutes, what we are feeling here right now, we don't have to leave that in these four walls. We can take it with us. This wonderful presence of the Lord that is dealing with us and talking to us right now, it'll go with us as we go home today. It'll go with us on the job tomorrow. It'll be with us all day long. It'll be with us this whole week because he's just as close as the mention of his name. I'll tell you what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for everybody to put your hands out in front of you right now and just look at, just look at your hands. Just look at your hands. And in your mind, I want you to begin to think of things that are vexing you of problems that you face, of things in your life that seem to be so overwhelming, things that you would like to be rid of. And I want you one by one just to say, I place this in my hand. I place that in my hand. I place our financial situation. I place my kids in your hand. Lord, all of these problems I place in my hand right now. Good right now, whatever is troubling you, whatever is bothering you, Lord, I put these problems in my hand. You know what they are. You know the heaviness that I live with. You know the burden of my heart. Lord, you know it all. You know the load that I'm carrying. And I put it in my hands. Now I want you just to close your hand over those problems that you've placed there. Just hold those problems in your hand.
I want every person in this house to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to lift both of those hands to the Lord. And in just a moment, in Jesus' name, what we're going to do, we are going to let loose of these things. And we are going to cast them upon Him. And we're going to let Him take this load from us. The real world that we hold in our own hand. We're going to turn these things over to a real Jesus who can do what none of us can do. On three, would you do that? When I count to three, let open your hands and let your problems throw them to him. Say, Lord, I commit these to you. I give these things to you, Lord. And they are no longer my problems because you're bigger than my problem. Lord, there's nothing too big for you to do. And I believe you. And I trust that you're going to take care of these. One, two, release your hand in Jesus' name. Lord, we give you this problem. We give you these things that would destroy us. We ask for victory today, Lord. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, we turn loose of everything that would destroy us. Everything, every weight that does so easily beset us. We let go of that weight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.